Hi, I'm Martin. And I'm Deepti. And we are the, the Movie Librarians. And on today's episode of the Movie Librarians, we're going to be reviewing Sorry to Bother You. That's okay. I made that joke last time. You're just reusing it. Yes, I did. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to bother you. A 2018 film written and directed by Boots Riley. Who I think last time I said Boots Randolph first. Who's that? Boots Randolph was a saxophone player. Oh, yeah. No, not at all. Different Boots. So Deepti, can you give us a synopsis of Sorry to Bother You? So let's start. As I said, it was a film from 2018, written and directed by Boots Riley. In fact, you read the screenplay several years ago. Yes, I did, which was published by McSweeney's. Mm -hmm. Let me start with a thing from Wikipedia. Boots Riley describes the film as, quote, an absurdist dark comedy with aspects of magical realism and science fiction inspired by the world of telemarketing, end quote. The screenplay for Sorry to Bother You was inspired by his own time working as a telemarketer and telefundraiser in California and his need to put on a different voice to find success. So we have Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, we have Tessa Thompson. We also have Jermaine Fowler. Omari Hardwick, Terry Crews, a beloved Terry Crews, Danny Glover, Stephen Yoon, and Army Hammer. What a name. Army Hammer. Army or Arnie? Army. Army. Hmm. A-R-M-I-E. Anyhow, we have the main character, our hero, Cassius Green, also known as Cash, who lives in his uncle's garage. And uh, I believe he's unemployed when we first meet him. And he's with his girlfriend. She's an artist who also holds signs during the daytime mm -hmm. to make money. You know, those signs that like point to different businesses. Cash needs to get a job. He ends up working at a telemarketing firm called Regal View. And they sell things like pretty harmless things like encyclopedias and stuff. And he's not doing so well until an older co-worker played by Danny Glover advises him that he should put on a white person voice. Cassius Green is, is black. So he does that and he starts to really succeed. It's, it's, it's not just the voice that he's told to put on. He has to also be carefree and sound affluent. So it's, it's a whole package. It's the voice and just being relaxed. And he has to sound white. He, like put on his white voice. Yeah, but remember at the beginning, he's like, no, not just, not just your standard white voice. You also have to sound like you don't have a care in the world. Or he says something like that. So it's beyond just the, the standard white voice, quote unquote. Anyway, at the same time, while well, this is happening, Cash's co-workers are forming a union. Cash becomes part of their protest and he expects to be fired. But instead, he's so good at telemarketing that they actually move him up to the upper level, which is all the co all the workers at this telemarketing agency are told, like, if you're good, if you're good, you can move up. Uh, the quote is, any one of you can turn power collar and be rolling in dough. So everyone down in the basement office uh, where Cash starts out is just selling encyclopedias and things like that, trying to make enough sales so that they'll be moved up to this amazing upper level that has its like own elevator and uh, everything. People come out of there looking glamorous, you know. So Cash becomes a power caller and up there, they're selling less innocuous products. They're selling cheap labor. They're selling, I think, weapons, things like that. So Cash starts 
out uncomfortable with the whole concept, but as he starts making lots of money, he sort of falls into it. He upgrades his apartment big time. And after moving up to this power color level, he's now divided because all his friends are still protesting. They want a living wage and all that kind of stuff, benefits, etc. But he no longer has any incentive to participate in these protests. So because he's he's just rolling in cash. So yeah, his girlfriend ends up leaving him and Cash ends up invited to a party hosted by one of Regal View's most important clients called Worry Free. And he ends up at this, the owner's mansion. And there he discovers something extremely sinister going on. Doesn't Worry Free own Regal View? I don't think so. I think Worry Free is one of the major clients. Okay, so they sell Worry Free's services yeah, to different companies. Yeah, because Worry Free is essentially basically like a poor house, except it's all glamorized. You go live there and you're fed, and, but you're basically a laborer, mm-hmm. right? You get food and not like hostel type living. Yeah, exactly. You have dorm dorm room style living or even prison style living and yeah. a jumpsuit even, yeah. I think. And But you're just doing labor all day. Yeah, it's, it's slave labor, but they slave labor, make but... it look like it's something glamorous to us. Yeah, it's supposed to, because things have become so bad with capitalism, of course, uh, people need to go work there because they just don't have any options. They have no other way to pay their bills. And so people end up joining worry-free and that's where they're making very cheap products. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so Cash ends up going to this uh, worry-free CEO's party and that's where he discovers something very disturbing. And then the rest of the movie sort of uh, develops from there. So then the question is, will Cash continue in his role as power caller? Will he completely abandon his friend? Or... Will he be so disturbed by this discovery that he makes in the worry-free CEO's house that he will end up rejoining his comrades? If you haven't watched the movie and don't want spoilers, stop listening here. All right, so on to our reviews then. So we have Roger Ebert, who the gentleman who reviewed it on RogerEbert.com, Brian Tallarico. He gave it 3.5 stars. Out of four, right? I believe it's out of four, yes. This one little quote, from the beginning, he's making clear that this is an exaggerated, insane world, a funhouse mirror version of our own that only film could provide. Okay. Which I think is pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem to start out that way, but as it progresses, it gets more and more kind of absurd. absurd. Uh, on the Rotten Tomato side, uh, the Tomatometer, we have critics giving it a 93% fresh rating with mm-hmm. 7.8 out of a possible 10. Okay. The audience gave it a 70% fresh rating. Mm-hmm. With 3.7 out of 5. So they're pretty close in terms of scoring in that respect. 7.8 being 78%, 3.7 being 74%. But the audience does seem to, to give it a little bit less fresh. Mm-hmm. And I can less see why. Fresh. Like, I understand where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. I would say the general public is not interested in very absurdist movies. Yeah, it might be sort of a little Or it's a boring. smaller population that is that enjoys that style of movie. Mm-hmm. Max G says, uh, with 2.5 stars out of 5, I may be feeling a tad sensitive in this weird woke era. This is the dystopian... Uh, I'm not going to read the rest, actually. That's enough, I think, from Max G. So he doesn't like it, basically? Mm. He says, the problem I have with the film is that every single negative character in this movie is white. The path to success is by having a white accent and every kind slash positive character in the movie is black slash Asian heritage. Okay, so there needs to be some social rebalancing, but really, is this supposed to be part of the dialogue? I feel like a whole racial group is being called out and labeled as the nasty bunch. How racist is that? So I feel like Max G didn't quite get the thrust of the movie. Quite the point. This other one, four stars out of five from Faisal O, making light fun of institutional reality in a great way. I like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty pretty straightforward and sums it up well. Mm-hmm. 
Half years H gave it also 2.5 stars out of 5. Said quite promising and hilarious at the beginning, then halfway through went downhill. Mm. And I think that's where we have the audience being less than the critics Mm. when it goes on that sort of more absurdist route. Yeah, yeah. It is definitely, as I was watching this YouTube video about the movie, they said it's kind of the third act where things just go a little bit bananas. Mm. (laughs) The first two, it seems like a fairly straightforward movie. And then it just really... It's still pretty crazy until the third act. It is, but... Like, it's very unusual. It's an unusual movie. I feel like it's kind of like Childish Gambino's This Is America in that respect, too. Like, it's got so many things going on with it that a lot of people would really appreciate. But also, you would have a lot of people who would look at it and be like, that's not good. Right. What did you think of the movie? Uh, I quite enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I knew part of what was going to happen or what was kind of coming right because i didn't because i had read it didn't remember every aspect of it but knew a general sense of where it was going so yeah i I still enjoyed it i knew that it was going to an absurdist direction and i think i would have enjoyed that anyway Um, i Mm -hmm. thought it was a good sort of play on reality and and really expressed some of the the major challenges of the current generation in a clear and direct way Alrighty, i enjoyed it i think i was a bit confused at first and then i was like this is depressing but the ending left me quite satisfied so, <laughs> so based on the ending alone, I'd say yes, totally worth the watch. Mm-hmm. Very interesting stuff. Good acting from from uh, from all and all. all. Yeah. Some interesting facts. Shall I tell you? Sure. Well, interesting. You, I mean, you probably noticed this when you watched it, but all the the white voices that the telemarketers put on, they're all played by white actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a they're lip syncing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all that speech which is pretty fun yeah Cassius Green's voice his white voice is played by David Cross uh, the actor who you might know from Arrested Development uh, oh yeah Tobias Funke. yes I think I read that Danny Glover's voice was um, like their sound engineer or something huh. yeah even though people thought initially that it was Steve Buscemi because it does sound kind of like him actually <laughs> but apparently not that is not the case I thought there was a dramatic use of color in this film. Mm-hmm. Like blue especially was, a, was strongly used, but very much primary colors. So like blue and yellow and red were very prominent throughout the whole thing and very sort of vibrantly so. There was very little green though. Other than they showed a, there was an image of a tree that was very bright green. Mm-hmm. There was a green apple on uh, Army Hammer's character's <gasps> desk. Army Hammer. <laughs> And some clothes that were very green, but everything else was very much like red, blue, yellow color palette throughout. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. What is the significance, Martin? Couldn't tell you. No? No. (sighs) Other than maybe like the idea of color as a very prominent aspect of this movie. And in that way, sort of, I guess, metaphorically race as well. Mm -hmm. You could could argue that or maybe something else i'm not sure i am not as good at, at dissecting this I oh no i don't i don't know anything about colors it does change when he becomes a power color and becomes a lot more white oh, so in his in his new sort of affluent lifestyle especially it's more apparent in his apartment mm-hmm. you see yeah, everything white, is in yeah. white and white everywhere before that everything is in color but then it becomes very like pale white grays mm-hmm. yeah. everything becomes very minimalist yeah I just, I just had a, th- a thought about that first review you read where it's like, all the white people are evil. Oh, so what you're saying is you want representation? Oh, oh, I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you think that maybe other races would like that too? <laughs> or is it uncomfortable to see a movie where your entire race is an evil group? Hmm. Let's think about that. Like many others. <laughs> Ugh. Anywho. Yes, I also wrote down some things. I really thought I really thought that expression, any one of you can turn power color and be rolling in dough, was just 
such a fitting descriptor of America in general. I mean, all industrialized democracies, I suppose, but really, really America. Capitalized democracies. Yeah. yeah. Just people's reluctance to ever criticize wealth or people who hold wealth is because of this dream that, like, I will be a wealthy person someday. And it's like, Probably not, though, you know? <laughs> That's the American dream, right? Is that yeah. if I work hard enough, I can make it to power collar and get wealthy. Yeah. And working together is a bad way to do that. Uh, if it's all on me kind of thing. Yeah. Just like that Amazon warehouse that didn't unionize. Yeah. There was a reality TV show called I Got the Shit Kicked Out of Me. Yeah. It was some, a... some of this hit a little too close to home. You know what I mean? I was like, but the world is like this. Yeah. You, you could see that happening. Yeah. Very easily that they would make a show about that. Like, it would be difficult with insurance purposes and stuff. Cause, yeah. But I think how long ago Jackass came out. Yeah. People would still want to people see People would like do that. it. Yeah. Especially if, it, if you had a chance to win money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sound-wise throughout the film, there was, a, there was basically constant noise, I found. Mm-hmm. And I think it was there to keep everybody sort of feeling off balanced about everything. Because that whole, the whole film is sort of meant to keep you a little off balance. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. Um, the whole film is very uncomfortable. Yeah. Which is like, oh, this is so awkward. There's no moments of quiet that I noticed. Just constant music happening in behind and people talking and everything like that. There is a scene at the CEO's party where, where he's basically like, the CEO is just like, you're black, rap for us. Yes. <laughs> And yeah. Cash is like, oh, I don't really rap, but like all these white people are just waiting for him to rap. And then he just starts saying the N-word over and over. He starts, yeah, he starts trying to do something. And then He's just, not going anywhere yeah. and then just starts starts yelling. The N-word and shit yeah. over and over. And everyone's like, yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. And all the people are like, yay. <laughs> awesome. All the men in this movie yes. had beards. Did they? That I saw. I didn't keep full track i didn't track every single male that we saw but i feel like I, and i noticed not it danny enough. glover i noticed it enough to write down not danny glover you're right but what about steve most of the you other men had beards. what's his name squeeze the guy who played squeeze hmm steve yoon did have a, a like a look goatee all right all right what about army hammer he did have a beard he does have a beard most of the men in this movie had beards what does it all mean i don't know i thought you had elaborate theories i didn't i was just looking maybe for that was just a 2018 thing it's kind of a thing now, isn't it? Yeah, Everybody but not, in the face beards. not like every single character. I guess so. And like different types of beards, like the eye patch guy who had the one that just went around there. Did the eye patch guy ever get to use his own voice? Or was it always uh, the white voice? No, I think that was always the white voice. Who was I? Just Omari Hardwick. <laughs> he doesn't have a name. Just the eye patch guy? Yeah, no, huh. it just says Mr. Blank. Huh. Forrest Whitaker is also in this movie as an Equisapien. Oh. <laughs> Um, what else do we have to say about this movie? Women in this movie. Yes. There was only one real sort of main female character. There was a second one, but um, Detroit is really the only mm. main female character. Mm. <clears throat> this movie does not pass no. the Bechdel test. Because the other female character, the white one, um, Debauchery, was her name? Something Debauchery? Oh, yeah. Debauch Didn't she pronounce it? <laughs> like Diana. De Debauchery. Debauchery? Debauchery. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> Debauchery. Debo where is it? Debauchery. Diana Debauchery. Yeah. Debo Debauchery. Um, 
So yeah, not not very many women. True, um, not many women characters at all. And in every scene that he's in, Cassius is really on stage. So even the point when Detroit was on stage, he interrupts and becomes like sort of becomes the center of attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there are a lot of lot of scenes where he's very much very focused on being the center of the of attention. In his bedroom, it's always sort of framed in a way that he's at the center. He's always really sort of the draw, or everything is meant to be focused on on Cassius, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the one main female character, Detroit, and all the other women are really sort of treated as objects. Mm. This is a very sort of male-centric view. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, Detroit does that art show. Mm-hmm. Seems freaking awful. I would hate to go to something like that. It's, I would like say it's should... like a pastiche of art shows, but I think there are art shows that are like that. Oh, there are. I would just hate it. <laughs> she has. People throw, what was it, like sheep's blood and old cell phones at her. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Why? Should we keep it on the shelf, Martin? Yes, I believe we should. I agree. I think it's something that I would add to the shelf. Mm-hmm. I'd watch it again. Yeah. And apparently, uh, they this movie was made, like Boots Riley specifically wrote it so it could be watched at any point in time. So like it could be watched 10 years ago, 60 years ago, and like the message would still essentially be the same. So there's he apparently took out one line out of the movie that was very specific to 2018 just because he didn't want it tied down hmm. to a particular time period. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. That would make sense. Mm -hmm. He had made some reference to, like, make America great again. And they took Mm. that line out. So he wanted the movie to be as relevant as possible for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting to see if if things ever change enough to make it less relevant. Depressingly, I don't think so. Make a prediction for me, Deep (laughs) Deep. Yes. Do you think society will ever change enough to make this movie not relevant? Not in my lifetime. That's for sure. It's all going to crash and burn and go to hell before anything's rebuilt to be decent again. Well, that's my point of view. So when we're living in 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 an apocalyptic society... No, no, I don't think... Everything, anything's ever going to turn into an apocalypse. It's the small apocalypses oh. we have to worry about, you know. Like a revolution that brings yeah, down. Yeah, like not enough healthcare and not enough this and not enough that and no jobs and now everything's automated and nobody's working. And like, those are miniature apocalypses, you know. Mm. I don't think it's ever going to be like, oh no, now all of North America is cut off and. Nuclear wasteland. Uh, yeah, and we're all fending for ourselves with our weapons. And the Equisapiens rise. Equisapiens rise. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. So sorry to bother you. Yeah, it's Keeper. Mm-hmm. And we watch, We recommend watching it. Not a bother. Ah, uh-huh, not a bother at all. <laughs> <laughs> you can call anytime. Although, this is apparently a thing. Apparently, telemarketers say sorry to bother you when they call you. Yeah, well, you know. I've never, I don't think I've ever heard a telemarketer say sorry to bother you. No. I don't know if it's an American thing. I don't think it is just an American thing. Usually people are like, hello, <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> very warily, <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> well, in my time uh, being on the phones for the Toronto Symphony, I never really said sorry to bother you, I guess, um, okay. but it was always sort of calling people up with things about their tickets, Yeah. so that I had no cause to do that. I didn't have any sort yeah, of Yeah, you're not apologizing, you're not interrupting anything. Yeah. 
Alrighty. Well, shall we move on to the mailbox section? Yes. Do we, we actually have, anything have some in the mail? mail. Oh, well. What well, is in the mail? It is from our friends, formerly known as Senor, Senor Don. Don and Waldo. Mm-hmm. They're now going by Don Sebulon and Waldo Bot. Okay. So we, we respect their name change. We have a... And, uh, species change slash... Yeah, yeah, Waldo has apparently turned into a robot. That's all right. As has Don Sebulon. Sebulon? Be. Yeah, I suppose. Isn't Sebulon. that at the end of some shows? Sebulon? Sebulon? Let's look it up. Sebulon. Sebulon is a medication. Oh, I feel like it's a production for the scalp. No, Zebulon. Zebulon was the sixth and last son of Jacob and Leah and the founder of the Israelite tribe of Zebulun. That's Zebulun. Okay. Okay. I'm not saying anything about Zebulon. Anywho, back to this email now that I've looked up scalp treatments. Hello, movie librarians. We liked the idea of having a mole agent in a retirement home, but had no clue it was a documentary. We approached it as a work of fiction, and the pauses in having Marta hang out at the front door captured the haunted aura around retirement homes. Don Sebulon, as a self-proclaimed Chilean, felt that despite his initial thinking that it was fiction, there were real clips with real abuelos and abuelas. That means grandparents. We both also thought the blurring of fact versus fiction was difficult to navigate at times. And there's a quote, classic Shakespearean, a reality show within a fiction. That's a Don Sebulon quote. And Waldo Bot has written whatever Seb. It's a, yeah, you know, a, a play within a play. There you Hamlet. go. Uh, they continue. It did feel like the movie was lacking dot 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 something. At the end, we came away not really feeling like a full story had been told. The friendships were cute and beautiful with it showing how we all have different ways to find joy. Probably wouldn't add it to our shelves, but it has been a nice conversation topic with Chilean acquaintances slash family. Levels, Don Sebulon and Waldo Bot. It's very intimate. I know, Don so Sebulon. affectionate. Our only and extremely affectionate correspondence. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Don Sebulon yes. and Waldo Bot. It was very mm-hmm. nice to hear your thoughts on. on I think uh, we agree movie. that it's very hard to tell where fiction ends and reality begins and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do we add that one to our shelves? We did add that one, yeah. I think. Go yeah, they are very much real abuelos and abuelas. Like, hmm. those people were not acting. Yeah. If anybody that old can act that well. No, no. Old people can act. Yes, but they were, like, they were very old. I was going to say, like, this is a problem in Hollywood that, like, older people don't get parts. No, no, I agree. Mostly because of the sort of fetishization of youth. No, no, th- this isn't yeah. a fetish- fetishization of youth thing. No, this is more like they are so old. I just don't know how you could consistently film day after day. Well, yeah, it'd be tiring for someone at that that age. Right, yeah. yeah. I'm just saying, like, logistically speaking, that would be very difficult. Right, but they can still act. Like, no, no, yeah, time. yes. Okay, let's let's correct. It would be difficult to get that many, like, 90, 80 and 90-year-olds, you know. How old is Patrick Stewart now? He's born in 1940. Patrick Stewart was born in 1940, so that would make him 80. Mm, he's still 80 acting, I guess. Now, I guess. I guess he's still acting. Yeah, right. Fine. Well, can you find 20 Patrick Stewarts to fill a retirement home? I'm sure you could if you tried. Yeah, I suppose. You're probably right. But anyway, these people seem very much like real, real, real old people. Yeah. Real old. <laughs> real. No, not uh, real applies to old people as a compound. Okay. What we've learned in this podcast is that Deep D is an ageist. Uh, I am not. Remember when I looked up Myrtle from Superstore? Yes. How old was she? She was really old. She was very old. And she was acting in a situation comedy. It's true. She was 86. 
But yes, the nice thing about Myrtle was like, she finally had like a role. Because remember when we looked at her IMDb and it was like, old woman in this, old woman in that. You know, like none of them are really named characters. Yeah. But in this, she was actually Myrtle. Myrtle Vartanian. Mm -hmm. Had a last name even and a whole backstory. Yeah. Gee, ketchup. (laughs) All right. What are we watching next time? Uh, That's a good question. You chose last week's movie, so I'm going to choose this week's. Um, I have mixed, I have a little trepidatious about this this movie. Mm-hmm. It's Rebecca, based on the novel by Daphne du Maurier. Okay. The synopsis on, or the little blurb on uh, Netflix says, A young newlywed moves to her husband's imposing estate, where she must contend with a sinister housekeeper and the haunting shadow of his late wife. And, fun fact, this movie stars Army Hammer, our good friend Mm -hmm. from Sorry to Bother You, as well as Lily James, who plays one of the, uh, who voices one of the white voices in in Sorry to Bother You. The one for Tessa Thompson? Uh, yes. I do not remember. Detroit? Yeah, Detroit, yeah. So yeah, I'm a little trepidatious about this because I really, 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 really like the book. So I'm a little bit afraid that I'll watch this and it will be terrible. And then when I try to read the book again... I'll have the movie playing in my head. So like that's who I'll picture as the characters. Right. Sounds like it'll be a very white movie as well. It is going to be a white movie. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. We'll mix it up next time with some diversity. Mm-hmm. We have, there's a couple of indigenous movies that I'd be interested in watching that I might uh, okay. All right. push us towards. Okay. All right. All right. Do you want to guess what it's about? I mean, I already gave you the... It's about a woman named Rebecca. Is it the wife or the ex-wife or the late wife or whatever? Who's Rebecca going to be? I didn't realize there was a wife and an ex-wife. What? I read you the synopsis. I sort of have listened. Uh, What? A young newlywed moves to her husband's imposing estate where she must contend with his sinister housekeeper and the haunting shadow of his late wife. Oh, of his first wife. Who's Rebecca? The new wife, the housekeeper, or his late wife? Both the new wife and the late wife. Whoa. And which one is played by Army Hammer? Neither of the wives. <laughs> the I'm housekeeper? expecting the husband. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> How boring. Okay. Right. That's it for this episode of The, the Movie, Movie Librarians. Librarians. If you have questions, comments, email us. The Movie, Libra- oh, movie Librarians at gmail.com. Yes. Or send us a tweet at the movie library no, no at movie, at movie librarians. librarians send us a tweet at, at movie, movie librarians or send us an email at movie librarians at gmail.com are you reading the cbc news ding, i'm just ding, ding. saying things <laughs> thank you very much for listening okay bye have yourselves a lovely day or night. um class dismissed That's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Wait, what? Let me finish.